0: If you have any questions for me or my guests, please email me at grant.mcgaw, spelled M C G A U T H, at five star BDM, B for brand, D for development, and for masters.com. Now let's begin with our next five star episode on Follow the Brand. Welcome to the Follow Brand Podcast. I am your host, Grant McGaw, CEO of 5 Star BDM, where we help you to build a 5 Star brand that people will follow. What is the value of digital assets in a technological society? Companies like Amazon, Apple, and Meta have generated billions in the Web 2.0 platform of digital platforms. Will Web 3.0 give rise to an entirely new generation of incredible wealth? My next guest, Keith D. Smith, CEO of Wavelink, says we must all participate in this next platform of technology to change the human experience. Keith has served as a strategic business consultant for companies focusing on financial technology and distributed systems. Keith is the founder of Wavelink, a web 3.0 infrastructure company providing connectivity services between large financial institutions and web 3.0 applications. Keith is also the founder of Yield Media Group, where he manages marketing communications for fintech organizations such as Near Protocol. Today's databases are vulnerable, Fragmented and expensive to maintain. In a world where everything and everyone is connected to the internet and where user data is maliciously used as a form of political currency, asset tokenization, and in decentralized ledger technologies. Blockchain. Middleware solutions help individuals and businesses to benefit from the unlocked value that interoperability and improved transparency may offer in an increasingly open society in need of a focus on stakeholder capitalization. It is estimated that nearly 50% of the world's 1.7 billion unbanked population own a smartphone or other smart device. Innovation in open banking and decentralized finance allows anyone with an internet connection to trade new classes of assets and utilize complex financial instruments that are revolutionizing financial markets in real time. Decentralized exchanges, allowing citizens around the world to trade digital assets without any intermediary, and the tokenization and fractionalization of traditional assets such as real estate and other traditional equity investments truly demonstrate the opportunity for internet users. Keith D. Smith has a deep passion for the potential democratization of financial services and the internet by the Decentralized Autonomous Organization and the tokenization of traditional financial assets drives him daily to learn how to help deliver a world where power rests at the fingertips of the people. Let us welcome Keith D. Smith to the Follow the Brand Podcast where we are building a five-star brand that you can follow. Welcome everyone. And you know, this is always a special week on Follow the Brand. I'm going to highlight some of our professionals in finance that are millennials. I ran across Mr. Keith to, like, not even that long ago, and I was intrigued. I mean, he he's bringing some knowledge and some expertise in a field that's new, what we we'll call the new economy, which is a broad spectrum of things happening in the Bitcoin, blockchain, fintech, world leading into a new web 3.0 that's leading into the metaverse discussion, virtual discussion. It's a leap in faith that's taking place. And I love it because it reminds me of what was happening when I was around his age when the internet was just new and we were just getting into AOL and chat rooms and, and who in the world would give their credit card over the internet kind of thing. And here we are today. And you you look at some of these billion, trillion dollar companies that became trillionaires because people did start doing banking over the Internet. So here we are now in a brand new world. We're going to have a great discussion around with Keith and have a candid conversation about how he sees this world evolving and what we really need to take away from it. So, Keith, you want to introduce yourself?
1: Yes. And thank you, Grant, for having me on. It's a huge pleasure and, and always happy to be talking about this stuff. So yeah, I'm Keith Smith. I'm the founder of Wavelink. And that is a company where we are working on distributed infrastructure, computing infrastructure. Basically, how do we use standardized computers to collaborate on real problems in real time? Um, In the blockchain and Bitcoin space, there's a lot of uh, talk around ASICs or application-specific integrated circuits, where the main thing that you're doing is buying a computer, some hardware that does one job. And so what we're focused on is how do we use computers that are standardized and anywhere in the world, even maybe a phone, a cell phone, to be able to actually partake in the validation process for different networks around the world. So that's one company. Um, I also work really closely with the Near Foundation. So I run Near DeFi, which is a media brand where we talk about a lot of the DeFi applications that are built on Near. And that has turned into a a larger media firm where we're calling ourselves Yield Media. And we are actually able to work with a lot of different blockchain firms, Web3 firms and FinTech players that are looking to get that professional exposure inside of, uh, with the specialization around, obviously these topics that most media companies and, and production houses don't really have. So those are the main things that I'm working on. Also inside of Near, we have a large educational initiative. One of the biggest things is making sure that when it comes to Web3 and blockchain technology, that the youth and everyone who is interested has the opportunities and the channels to actually learn. So we run workshops here in Miami. I go to high schools throughout Miami. I've been going to universities as well. Um, just really quickly, I went to FIU, we've gone to Barrie. Went to Florida Memorial last week, which is uh, the only HBCU in South Florida Uh, and did a guest lecture there. We also just flew out to the University of Pennsylvania on Saturday. And this week we're going to University of Tennessee in Knoxville. So I'm super focused on how do we, first off, make sure that this information gets into schools in the first place, have people uh, giving people the opportunity and the channels to learn. And then how do we officially get curriculum into schools as well moving forward? So that's me.
0: Wow. That's a lot of you there, Keith. I mean, is what lot. you're doing <laughs> is, is amazing. So the question I have for you first is that, I, I mean, I look at your background, and it looked like you were going into a, a branding and, and marketing and advertising world, and you've pivoted now deep into this, into this I, I'm just calling it the new economy, because there's so many big moving parts. When you start talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and Web 3.0 and FinTech and just a lot of other things, but what caught your interest? How did you get involved in this?
1: Yeah. So uh, I love the things that you highlighted around uh, e-commerce and thinking about how people were pulling out their credit cards to swipe online. And so I was pretty young when that was becoming the normal thing to do, but I was paying attention. So I was in high school and I somehow started to learn about the concept of affiliate marketing. And that turned into, okay, how do you use pay-per-click? Well, how do you use Google AdWords, Facebook ads, things like that. And I had a lot of e-commerce startups coming out of high school that were relatively successful. And so I understood the model of, okay, I'm going to take my money, pay for what's essentially data. And that data is going to allow me to run a business and to earn an income or generate revenue. So when I understood that, that anyone could do it i'm 16 years old spending thousands of dollars a month on facebook guys i'm like okay well anyone can do that and in 2016 is when we saw how some of the effects of things like that could be a little bit potentially detrimental to our society and when i say 2016 i'm talking about specifically the cambridge analytica case that came up yeah and how we had sort of a political tie-in from the media or social media in our society and i was like okay Well, something about that maybe is potentially wrong. If anyone, I mean, even I could have participated in running ads for some political sort of reason and have masked that through my ability to relay messages in a a subconscious way. So in 2017, one of my best friends, his name is Caleb Upkins. He actually works out in Google uh, in San Francisco, and he had just interned at a venture capital firm right as we were graduating from high school he told me about this thing called Ethereum. We had all kind of heard about Bitcoin before. We had a lot of kids in our school who were using it for whatever, this and that. And so I said, wait a minute, but what is Ethereum? And that sent me down a whole different rabbit hole where I understood, okay, if there's Bitcoin and Ethereum, then there's something that's actually kind of going on here. But what is that? And I started understanding blockchain and having that e-commerce background really allowed me to understand, okay, wait a minute, this is changing the entire model around digital interaction, where instead of needing to have people using a product for free and actually becoming the product in the back end where I'm buying ads that are your data and you're not getting compensated for that, we can actually potentially move into a more fair world where everyone is agreeing upon the actual value of the data within a network. So that is what blockchain meant to me. Once I started looking deep into it, I looked at what Brendan Eich was doing with uh, basic attention token in the Brave browser, which he was also the founder of Mozilla Firefox, as well as JavaScript himself. He, He wrote JavaScript. And so that to me was super impactful. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. There are people who are coming from traditional tech and saying, wait a minute, the incentives around the models that have been built out so far are not aligned. And there are people that are actually being extracted from. There's value that's being extracted from people. And that was what really kind of started me diving super deep down the rabbit hole.
0: Well, I tell you, Keith, we're all in that rabbit hole now. <laughs> uh, just because it's all in the news. It's all in the news. And people are, you, you hear about people that, hey, they 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 became millionaires. They're they're, you know, crypto millionaires overnight. And the next next week they're crypto, you know, bankrupt you know, the next night. And that that helps me to understand that we're still in a volatile world. I I try to remind people when the internet first really got going, there was a dot-com boom and then there was a dot-com bust. Now I say that to say this, the technology survived, e-commerce survived. We do more business digitally than we do any other way data as you pointed out is more valuable than oil more valuable than gold data you know just the data that we our daily activities and how we do things this is very important and now it's morphing into a different platform and we need I, i want to educate our audience so they understand As they venture out, I'm not telling anybody not to venture out, but do your due diligence. Understand as you take up a claim, just like in the wild, wild west of the 1880s. You know, you've got to stake your claim, and you got to go out there and you got to dig for gold and pan for gold and that kind of thing. And there weren't a lot of laws, and that's why I bring up the wild, wild west. There weren't a lot of laws at the time there, and it was kind of like you're on your own. And you couldn't even tell, you know, the sheriff from the bandits, kind of thing. A lot of times, and people may not know this, but it's a true story that a lot of the bandits were the sheriffs, and vice Mm -hmm. versa. (laughs) You say, "Well, today I'm going to be the sheriff." You know, next week I'll be a bandit, depending on how hungry you were, I guess. But you know, this is where we're at. So, I said all that to say, my take is that we still need standards, and we still need some agreed upon structures in order for this to work? And I want to get your take on what I just talked about.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, first off, I I love um, this sort of example of the sheriff being the bandit at times. And the reason I love that is because in this Web3 space, there's actually a layer of what people like to call anonymity to these projects. And I say people like to call it anonymity because it's much more of a pseudonymity. And so, people think that because there's no direct link to a name, that that means that they're anonymous. And I want to quickly, briefly say that that is not the case. So, when you talk about things like Bitcoin, people think that, oh, this is something that's used for nefarious activity and it's only used by criminals. And I I love to say this because it's funny. I'm like, If criminals are using Bitcoin only for nefarious activity, these are some of the most ignorant criminals on the planet. (laughs) Because what they're doing is they're leaving a a digital trail of every single thing that they're doing on chain. So there's a lot of companies that are built around uh, keeping this from happening or being a real issue. You have CypherTrace is one of the biggest ones. They work with governments. To say hey, and banks to say hey, we're going to keep track of the money as it flows from a bank into these networks and vice versa. So, but but to to double down on what you said, it's like you still have people that are thinking from that perspective that they're free to do whatever. And so we have people that launch projects; they do it anonymously or pseudonymously. They have a little name, a little profile picture and NFT a lot of the times that says, hey, this is who I am, but you don't know who I am uh, in the physical world. So the problem with that uh, is if you're working with a project or dealing or interacting with a project that has that level of anonymity, you are not super familiar with who your counterparty is. And so just because you have, well, one thing that prevents that from being an issue is open source code. Okay. So even if you're dealing with someone who could be a nefarious actor. You can go and check out their code and see if what they're offering is something that has any back doors or things of that nature. Now, the problem with that is that the average person does not have the literacy to be able to go into a smart contract or set of smart contracts and look to see how there may be potential dangers in interacting with them. So, so there's this kind of um, there is this wild west nature of okay. Um, I can anyone can come in and use this protocol because most of this technology is what's called permissionless technology, which means the only thing that you need is an Internet connection. And then from there, you can interact with it. So you have these DeFi apps that anyone can come in and interact with. They, they don't necessarily know who their counterparty is, but maybe they know how to read smart contracts or maybe the smart the, the party, the counterparty is doxed and they know who they are, but they don't know how to read smart contracts. So you see on both sides of this, whether people are known or not, there are a lot of opportunities for things to go wrong, where maybe the founders do something a little bit sketchy in the background. And then someone comes out on Twitter and retroactively is like, hey, I followed the trail. This is what happened, by the way. So all of you just lost your money. Or um, you'll have basically just, just different ways to kind of make sure that different threats that you need to be aware of when you're interacting with all of these DeFi applications and with blockchains in general. So I'll, I'll step back from there, but I, I definitely agree. It's super important. Uh, the bandit can absolutely be the sheriff and with things going on in the background, you don't know really whether or not that's the case. I want to make one more point yep. because In the NFT space, everyone's talking about non-fungible tokens and NFTs. And right now, the idea is to correlate that to the concept of artwork. I think that that's a very primitive stage of where we are in the NFT market and also just the NFT phenomena. Uh, NFTs are much better used for things like identity and thinking about how each person is unique. We all have a fingerprint, things like that. Um, But... In that market, we've seen a lot of this nefarious activity masked as some sort of a boom. And it's really saddening. And I I want to take this time to talk about it because um, it's just it's it's so misleading. We saw these crypto. I, I won't name any specific projects. There are projects where you have pixelated art that is selling for hundreds of thousands and in some cases millions of dollars. What people that are coming into this market to come and participate don't understand is that some of these projects and some of these NFTs have actually been, um, the, the value that has been assigned to them financially is somewhat, first off, arbitrary because it's coming sometimes from the
0: author. This episode is brought to you by Five Star BDM. Five Star BDM is a professional consulting and advisory group keenly focused on business development services for small to mid sized businesses and entrepreneurs. Although every business is unique, they often share challenges that can be addressed through smart branding. Services include process improvement and operations, digital strategy and transformation, business intelligence, digital marketing, and personal branding. Our five star business and personal branding company has helped a number of professionals and organizations to optimize and grow. The result is more business, more opportunities, better reach, positive outcomes. Please visit www.fivestarbdm.com to learn more and view all the episodes of Follow the Brand. and you also
1: have these groups of people that specifically come together to you know bid up the prices of pieces and it's really that simple and that is a lot of the phenomenon that everyone wants to think is so cool and that everyone wants to be a part of and what happens is is you come into this market and you buy one and then you're kind of left holding the bag
0: so just be aware of that now what you said there is so important you you really have to do your due diligence step back there you know, anybody tells me get rich quick, that's big red flags, huge red flags for, for me. Uh, don't see that happening uh, too often. Yeah, you can do some day trading. You could probably get some significant uh, returns on an investment. I don't think you might get rich overnight, but you might make a few bucks, right? But for instance, what you're talking about, and I've seen this happen, you get somebody that they're selling a house, an actual physical Home, they create an NFT of that home, right? And they assign a value to that NFT of the same value of the home. So then when the home actually sells for a half million dollars, it appears that the NFT sold for a half million dollars. You know, so you know, so you're like, oh wow, NFT is worth you know a half million dollars. Like, well, not not really, but <laughs> If you don't understand the trail and uh, and see what what's happening, uh, that's a problem. That but that's just giving. Here it is: the technology is real. The technology is a great idea. There are people that are misusing it, but they did the same thing when the internet first started out. You had all kinds of nefarious actors acting like they were a particular company and taking your credit card information, and then your money is gone and then you turn around, who are these people? And they're they're gone, poof, in the night, right? And that is because we did not have standards and certain protocols in place that guarantee certain interactions, right? You want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Yes. So this is, uh, first of all, that was a great example, right? Because I didn't even touch on the fact that you could also have another interaction or transaction that's really taking place, right beneath the blockchain. You can't really see that on chain. So but yeah, so thinking about standards, I think in the United States, uh, we specifically have had a lot of struggle with this because there are no there, there's been very few regulations put out to allow us to kind of have forward guidance on how to move and how to how to create this technology in the most fair way. So, right now, when you talk about the Wild West and you see the SEC trying to retroactively catch up and chase these projects after they've ran off of people's money, it's really tough because they don't have uh, enough people to keep up with what's happening in the US. And also, it's a global phenomenon. So, they can't chase actors in, in, in Ukraine or Russia that are creating projects and siphoning money out of American people's pockets. So, that's one big problem is like you have. A phenomenon that's global, and then you have national regulators that are trying to collaborate and/or on their own figure out how to address this technology. That's one problem. Another problem is thinking about okay, you have ten thousand different cryptocurrencies, and most of these or some of these have their own networks. So when you're when when you're talking about Bitcoin and you're setting standards for how Bitcoin transactions work. That's not going to cover what's happening on Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And so one of the biggest things I think that's going to be the most important um, sort of topic over the next couple of years is the concept of interoperability. Yes. So there's a lot of different ways to look at interoperability. But in the blockchain space specifically, there's already a few categorizations of how to look at it. So the first thing is the actual network itself. So you have Bitcoin and you have Ethereum, you have smart contracts that are on Ethereum. So it's a totally different sort of function of the network, but how can you make sure that they still can talk to one another? How do I know that when I send a a message from Bitcoin, how can I send a message from Bitcoin to Ethereum? How do I make sure that when Ethereum is hearing this, how are they gonna interpret it? And then how do you then be able to act upon what you've interpreted on the other end? And so there's a lot of different solutions around how to kind of make this work. Some people are using things like bridging, cross-chain bridges are one approach. I think um, it's not the most comprehensive approach because when we think about blockchain networks and interoperability, it doesn't have to be about blockchain. And I think that's one of the biggest things is that what you're really dealing with is a computer network. And so how do we look at our computer networks today? And how they interoperate with one another. And how can we potentially move that forward into this blockchain world? And there's one thing that blockchain has in common with the traditional web that a lot of people don't like to think about. And it comes down to the actual physics of the internet, which are fiber optics cables. And so I'm trying to give that breath. Because the fiber optics cables are what make the internet work in the first place. You have fiber optics cables, hundreds of thousands, even potentially millions of kilometers that are laid out across the oceans around the world. And this is actually how information travels from one place to another. There are photons that are sent through physical cables that allow us to receive information. Now with blockchain, guess what? The set of infrastructure that allows us to do, to interact with the blockchain is the same infrastructure. And so how do we work with things like fiber optics cables and TCPIP, transmission control protocol, internet protocol, to then actually create interoperability? And there are people that are approaching this um, in in a different sort of a way. They're based out of the United Kingdom. I'm going to drop some real alpha for everyone here. What we're talking about is the, uh, the quant network out of the United Kingdom. And this is the framework through which I'm able to think about and talk about these things. So I'm not some genius. There's a man named Gilbert Verdian and he has really spent his time since the nineties thinking about how do we create an ownership economy where each end user can have access to owning uh, finances and can interact with web applications in the same way. So let me backpedal a little bit. When we're thinking about interoperability we wanna think about the network itself You have Bitcoin, you have Ethereum, you have Solana. I want them to all talk to each other. Now you have specific functions on Ethereum and Solana such as smart contracts, but they're written in different languages. How do we make sure that the smart contracts can interact with one another so that you can just have one simple interface if you wanna do DeFi on Ethereum or Solana, it's as simple as one click. And then how do you think about the actual tokens and the assets that are on each network? How do you make sure that the value of those tokens is interoperable? Because you can send, if you try to send Ethereum to Bitcoin right now, guess what? It's gone. That is gone forever. It is burned basically in a transaction that will never be able to be retrieved. So we want to make sure that um, even if we're sending messages across, that the value attached to these things is fairly uh, interacted with. And, and then another thing is really thinking about the actual logic. So once, You've gotten the network to hear another network, and then you understand what it's saying through a smart contract, and then you're able to take in the financial value of a token and use that token within a different network. What does this actually mean to the common man? right? Because when we are doing these things, these are real transactions. Like Sometimes a smart contract can be settling a lending agreement or a borrowing agreement. So that is kind of the final layer of, okay, at the back end of this, when you're dealing with a bank, what are they going to see this transaction as throughout the network? So interoperability is the biggest theme, and it's the only way that we're going to be able to kind of create standards. And Gilbert Verdián once again, uh, created a standard back in 2014. And this is the ISO TC307 standard, which was already a blockchain interoperability standard before we had 10,000 networks. So I recommend looking into that and understanding exactly how our regulators and legislators thinking about interoperability, because once the laws come down, that is when we're going to have a real space to play in where we don't have to worry about cowboys and, and bandits being sheriffs. Oh, yeah.
0: What you just <laughs> said, and man, this reminds me so much of what was happening in the early 2000s. And I'm just talking about, not even talking about the internet, we're talking about ATMs, it was the financial industry had to agree on transactions, whether those transactions were U.S. transactions or their transactions in another country. That there was an agreed upon protocol for every single banking institution in the world, and it take it took them some time, you know, to to finally agree upon it. But that's how you're able to go to any ATM in the world and withdraw. Cash that everybody agreed upon its value at the time of its distribution, right? So we're we're not there yet. We will be there. But the point of here's the, the crutch in the road, people are like, well, isn't the point of a decentralized like banking world or or, or financial transaction world or however you want to, to call it, isn't that the real promise of well? 3.0. I mean, this whole DAO thing if, if you're going to, you know, put all this new regulation in there, aren't we just recreating what we already had? What would you say to that?
1: I think these are incredible things to think about when you look at the blockchain and web3 space. Everyone wants it to be the wild west. People don't want the regulator to come in. But at the end of the day, uh, we're just going to continue to have the roadblocks that we have today where we don't have, there's still a level of trust that kind of needs to be given to the technology. It's trustless in the fact that we don't need to have any third parties in between our interactions and our transactions. But when you have the creator of something and the source uh, as a counterparty at the end of the day, there is still a risk in interacting with this, with this protocol and these things. And not only that, but uh, aside from looking at legal frameworks and things, you have technological frameworks and those are already um, and, and energy frameworks that are already being regulated. So when you look at Bitcoin specifically, I love to bring this up because it sometimes pops a light bulb for some people. Bitcoin is powered by miners basically using electricity mm-hmm. as a way to be able to power their miners and, and provide security to the network. Energy companies are some of the most closely regulated in the world. So you're not going to just be able to, if the government of your local, if your locality says, hey, we don't like the way that you're lo- you're using electricity, guess what? They're going to have a few switches or a couple of phone calls that they can make to shut you down. And if you look at China, if you look at the Middle East, this happens every day, whether it's the internet or power, they'll cut you off. And so, I think right now it's it's this idea of, okay, well, government has to shut everyone down for that to be a problem. And I think that it's okay to kind of think about that today, but when we're at scale, do you really want to be fighting against um, a, a sovereign nation or a collection of sovereign nations like the g twenty? Because they're very vocal about this stuff. And so I think it's really just important to to work with the regulators because you already are, whether you know it or not. And then from there, you know, how do we build things that are equitable for everyone? Um, one other big thing, like I said before, was the fiber optics cables. Like you're depending upon AT&T to do all of this. I'm sorry, but you are. Yeah, uh, You're not doing this without Deutsche Telekom and AT&T. You're just not. And so they are actually already in the room having control over whether or not these interactions and transactions can be set up and whether or not they're happening. So from the energy companies themselves and and people uh, allowing you to have access to electricity, and then you have, uh, once again, the fiber optics cables and actual telecommunications providers that are already in the room, um, whether you'd like to acknowledge that or not.
0: No, what you just see, I'm I'm in a, you know, information technology, 25 years, so I understand exactly what you're saying. like, you still have a physical layer no matter what. And, and this rests on top of it. It's it's a platform. And that's part of the platform. Um, the the when I look at web 3.0 and I look at uh what the metaverse is promising or what it can do, I'm looking at it from a uh, VR perspective. I'm looking at it from augmented reality perspective. I think it's something that that can be a, a natural evolution. Of the internet, I don't think it's something you need to leave it behind. I think it's something that you can now uh, create even new players. Like people say, well, right now all the social networks are owned by three or four companies. Well, that's true because they have a great platform, right? I remember when IBM was really the only player in town that came to compute, and then Microsoft came along, came along. You know what? They Microsoft really didn't, to me, invent anything new. What they did was create a better interface. And that interface created better computing experiences, right? So whoever can create a better experience within Web 3.0, within a uh, vir- a, you know, a lot of virtuals in a metaverse, that's going to be great, you know. And the nefarious actors that are out there, you know, there's there's you know people in, in all walks of life doing whatever. That's they'll be become a lower voice. Because you're going to have more and more people of integrity operating in this space. And they want it to work. They want it to work because it's a better platform. It's a better platform all the way around. Now we just have to agree upon it, on its use, and, and everybody will benefit from it. So before we conclude, I, I always love to give my my guests an audience to speak directly to my audience. And and let them know. We I think we've given them some great information, some good intelligence out there. People that are on the fence, there's a lot of naysayers, a lot of people like wow. they're gone gung ho, you know, into this world. I just want you to be from your experience and what you're doing, talk to them candidly about what you think their next step should be.
1: Yes. So first off, just thank you again, Grant, for the time. Um, and and for allowing me to talk to the audience. I think. There's a few different things. There's a lot of calls to action, but I wanna keep it very brief. I think the first thing is just uh, get active, like participate. Uh, One of the biggest uh, theses, one of the biggest parts of my thesis is that this is all open source technology and it's been around for over a decade now. So anyone can and has been able to interact with this stuff for over a decade. The problem that I'm seeing and that we'll continue to see throughout time is that not everyone is participating. And so for, for people who have a real opportunity here to actually get a leg up on the traditional system and, and be a part of the future, it's super important that you just spend the time you know, playing with Coinbase, like download Coinbase. They have a really cool program where what you can do is you can actually watch videos, take very short quizzes and earn cryptocurrencies. All right, so you can earn, you can learn to earn. All right. And this is a new model that is coming about in the space, which I'm going to quickly touch on as well. At NEAR, there's a program called NEAR University where you can go to near.university. You'll be able to see all of the certifications and programs that they have. You can take these programs, get certified, and then you'll actually get access to a plethora of job opportunities on the other end. And so and and when I'm going to these workshops, we're doing uh, distributions. So for showing up. You can get a little bit of a token. So it's just super duper important to put your head down, put your pride away and go and learn in these communities with people who know a little bit about this Web3 space. Not everyone is right. And there's a lot of myopia. Everyone's kind of stuck in their little silo and that's it. But I promise that being in the room is one of the best steps that you can take. So I recommend once again, go to near university, take the certifications, get connected with someone like me or someone like Cameron Dennis or Sharif, who is a part of the educational program and they will directly connect you with opportunities to actually get grants or to actually find employment specifically through the near foundation. And there are a lot of protocols that are doing things similar, but I see no one doing it like near. And so that's why I make that recommendation. Obviously, if you wanna learn anything one-on-one, or if you have uh, a business that you're trying to figure out how to integrate into this space, please feel free to reach out to me or to Grant and we will gladly talk and and find out ways to be able to help you. But yeah, that's my main suggestion is, uh, what I did in 2020 was I actually watched the MIT Open Courseware by Gary Gensler, who is now the chairman of the SEC. I watched his course on blockchain and money. And I think it was one of the most powerful things in the world. You have a top university, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, giving out all this information for free. So check it out, MIT OpenCourseWare, and, and learn from some of the best for free in your home. I promise that it's worth it. And if you're curious about this space, do not spend any time hesitating. Because it's this is where we're hitting that inflection point, where everything is about to really change. And it's, and it's likely that the financial is going to move first. And then we'll start to see how people are redeploying that capital to change the world around us. So, so act now.
0: I totally agree with that. Uh, act now. Let's not let's not sleep on this new opportunity that comes around once every generation. This is a generational shift. So, Keith, what's the best way for the audience to get in touch with you?
1: Yeah. So, to get in touch with me, I'm very active on Twitter at Keith DLT. So, K E I T H D L T. And other than that, you can reach me via email. Uh, I have KeithDMedia at gmail.com. And I'm happy to interface with you. And obviously, if, if you guys are really close with Grant, just reach out to him and we'll make some stuff happen. So thanks a ton.
0: No, absolutely. Thank you for being a guest on the Follow the Brand podcast. I look forward to continue to interact with you. This has been very informative. I want to let the audience know to tune in to all the episodes of Follow the Brand at www5 bdm. And that's B for brand, B for development, and for masters.com. Until next time, you take care, Keith. You take care of yourself.
1: You too, man. Thank you so much.
0: No problem.